This is Catalog and Cocktails. Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday, and it's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails, where we get to talk about enterprise data management in an honest, no BS way. My name is Tim Gasper. I'm a longtime data nerd and product guy, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Juan. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? Uh, I'm Juan Sakin, the principal scientist at Data.World, and I'm live from almost New York, from New York at the airport. And if you can hear a lot of noise, it's because this is live. Like, we, when we talk about BS, is like no BS. Like, we're doing this live, and there's a bunch of announcements right now going on. So, how bad does it actually hear right now? <laughs> it actually sounds all right. It does sound all right. Um, so, for everybody who's uh, realizing, I actually travel around the world wherever I'm going with my microphone to make this real. So, uh, last last week I was in Amsterdam, and I'm literally I got off a plane coming in from London, uh, and I'm now in Newark, and always excited to it's wednesday middle of the week let's go have this conversation no BS we don't miss it right we, we, don't never, miss it. we don't miss it no 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 and today i'm super excited as always our wednesdays uh, our guest today is lars albertson he is the founder of singling i gotta get you gotta get this right sling uh which provides sling all right well here's the thing lars is somebody who's very well known in the data circles for a long time right lars has started working at companies like at google early like in mid to 2000 2007 i think did the first uh work on google hangouts was at spotify early on when he was like a data engineer at spotify when actually data engineering was not a thing uh, so you've really been ahead of the curve around things and if you go talk to people in the data circle and you say lars like People know who Lars is, and I'm super excited to have this honest, no BS conversation about data and value and how do we get value out of data and productivity and all that stuff. So, Lars, how are you today? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, it's uh, quite late here. It's uh, 11 p.m. in Sweden, so I'm, I'm slightly tired. I held a data strategy workshop for a management team today, so and that's exhausting for me, in particular when it's online. Uh, but um, But I'm doing good. Awesome. So, hey, let's kick it off. So what, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Lars, you kick it off. Well, yeah, well, since it's late, I have a very big cup of coffee to keep me awake. That's my typical drink of the day. Strong Swedish coffee. <laughs> and what are you, any, anything in particular you want to toast for? Uh, well, I would like to toast uh, for the fact that in two weeks we'll be lifting all of the pandemic uh, regulations and limitations that we've had here in, in Sweden for quite some time. The vaccination rate uh, of the population is now fairly high. Uh, so we're hoping this will work out. So that I think that's worth a toast. Definitely. Absolutely. How about you, Tim? I am uh, drinking a mezcal margarita. I have I bought some mezcal uh, a few weeks back, and I'm trying to find creative ways to use it. Um, and uh, and this tastes very delicious. I like the, I like this approach. And uh, I, I will uh, also cheers to your your restrictions starting to come off, uh, Lars. I I look forward to when things get a little bit more normal in uh, in the U.S. We're, uh, we're we we like to play the yo-yo kind of thing here. It's uh, it's fun to jump back and forth. <laughs> except not really <laughs> well i'm drinking a fernet and coke something i would I, that's a fernet something i don't have at home and it's uh i think like the traditional drink in argentina um and i'm 
toasting for two things. One is traveling. I mean, I'm, I'm back on the road. It was great to be for two weeks. Uh, I was in Amsterdam, Paris, uh, London, Edinburgh, met with a lot of people, a lot of friends, met with a lot of actually listeners. I met, so shout out to Mark Kitson, who I uh, got to see him in London. Uh, so definitely I'm excited about travel and I'm also super excited about our, our summit at data.world. So on September 29th in two weeks, it's a free virtual event with, we have awesome presenters and, uh, we have awesome agenda. We have, for example, Shamak Degani, uh, Dean Alamang, Bar Moses, Doug Laney. We're going to talk about data mesh, data ops, data product management, data governance, knowledge graphs. So if you really like, uh, if you really like cataloging cocktails, you're going to really like our summit. Uh, I think we, we keep it that honest, no BS way too. Um, but hey, let's turn the salesy thing off 100%. And uh, let's kick off with some warm up. Uh, the warm up question we have today is what have you been practicing but not actually getting any better? Lars. Uh, well, in professionally, uh, I keep practicing with gits every day. I, I use it on a regular basis and I can never understand it. It's hopeless. I, I'm a complete newbie. I goof things up whenever I go out of the very narrow path I used. I just make a mess out of things. It's, it's a completely incomprehensible tool to me. <laughs> How about you, Tim? Right? Um, you know, for me, uh, also something a little technical here, um, uh, learning JavaScript. I've been trying to learn it for probably six or seven years now. Um, and uh, I start to learn it a little bit. I practice it a little bit and then I get busy. And then about six months later, I pick it up again and I do a little bit and then I get busy. And so I, I keep practicing it, but I'm, I'm treading water. <laughs> I've well, you know how many times I've tried to learn front end stuff. It's a, that's a hopeless areas for me as well it takes concerted effort right i feel like i need to take like a sabbatical where it's like the tim goes and learns how to code sabbatical <laughs> well i'm gonna do non-technical for me it's in the gym i've been trying to get better my front squats and it's still not i, I have to get my wrists up and that and i still i'm struggling with that so been squats practicing a lot squats are hard in general man I mean, back squats, I'm actually pretty good. It's the front squats. It really changes a lot. So um, anyways, let, let, let's kick it off now to our to our discussion of today. And so, Lars, the, kick it off with an honest, no BS question. So we always talk about data being the new oil, and it kind of seems obvious that the goal is to extract value of data. But it seems that the entire data industry just focused on technology aspects instead of the value. So honest, no BS. Why aren't we able to extract value out of our data? Or or are we? Or who is able to? And let's kick it off with that. Well, I think uh, we are easily distracted by technology. <laughs> and and uh, very rarely the technology matters. Uh, in some cases, it does. But, it, but in most cases, it, it doesn't. Um, so there is a... There's a huge gap in the capability to extract value from data. And uh, if you look at, at the data leading companies of, of the world, uh, where I've had the fortune to, to work at a couple of them, uh, they are decades ahead, essentially, in, in getting value out of the data if you compare it to, to the crowd and to the traditional enterprises. And that gap doesn't seem to close, right? It just keeps being wide. And and first with, with the big data and, and the sort of analytics and, and the products, uh, uh, 
product uh, development tools like A-B testing and so forth, and nowadays with machine learning. And as I've, I, I spent some time in the uh, in some of the leading companies, I, I, wor I worked for Google, I worked for Spotify, and and uh, that's sort of where I saw how much value you can get. And then I've spent a number of years, various constellations, helping non-leaders uh, get value from their data and it's never about the technology. It's that's never blocking them, right? It's it's always the uh, the ways of working, the ways you organize, the uh, collaboration patterns, the the rituals. The uh, many of the companies have have tons of rituals that they cling to and they they can't get rid of. Um, and then I've seen there there's one pattern. That I'd like to, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a, a little detour and describe. And if sure. you if you zoom out here and look at all of the things that we humans do in, in terms of refining something from from something crude into something valuable, like uh, cooking or, or, or uh, forestry or whatever, in history it always starts with a with a uh, manual uh process with, with like manual tools with access and sauce or or a, a cooking over the fire and so forth and then it progresses to a mechanized state where you do the same things but you now have machines in your hand right you have a chainsaw or you have an electric stove or an electric um, heat or kitchen utensils and so forth and, and then it from there it goes to an industrial stage where you sort of do the same things, but now you've made it into an industry rather than just one chef cooking. You have you have McDonald's, right? Which is a a whole machinery of, of food getting uh, getting cooked. And uh, although the, you might argue that it's not as pleasant as as the uh, sort of the manual and mechanized way, you cannot argue with the efficiency, right? The the industrial level always beats all the, the previous variations out of efficiency and you can see it in transportation like you started with a horse cart and then you have lorries and now we have fedex where it's like an industry it's a, it's a service rather than except the lorries are like the same but but it's an industry and like you cannot beat ikea making furniture for example and in on the industrial level you work with a process that's where you improve not with the actual craft but with the process and with data we have moved on from from like the manual tools, the pocket calculator, and so forth, uh, so forth, or, or Excel sheet, and we've gone to the mechanized level where we have the, the the data warehouse is the most powerful tool, but but it's still a tool in our hands that we control with our hands and steer it. We run a query, and so forth. Well, only a few companies have moved to the industrialized level where you work with a process instead. All of the engineering effort is put into making the uh, making the pro the automated processes better so you don't assess your quality with a query you assess your quality by building yet another pipeline that that measures the quality and puts it out on graph or nerves and the us is ahead here of europe you have more companies that do this we only have like a you know less than 100 companies at the at this level in, in europe just a few in scandinavia and the order of magnitude in getting how much value you can get out of data is there, there are 
at the industrial level, there are several orders of magnitude higher. And you can quantify this by, if you look at the, uh, if you approximate business value by, by counting data sets produced, like each data set that you produce, whether it's a report or a search index or, or a recommendation index, has some kind of business value, otherwise you wouldn't produce it. And if you look at the, the typical enterprises, the banks and telcos, they, they produce on the order of 100 or 1,000 data sets per day, whereas Spotify produces a few hundred thousand per day and uh, Google produces a few billion per day. Uh, and that, that number tells you something about how, they, how differently they work with the data. I don't know if this rant yeah. made sense or, or not, but it, it, it I, does. Smiling. I am nodding and smiling. Yes, it does. I mean, this topic of industrialization of the data process is is compelling, and all. And and yeah, I think you made a good comment where you're kind of like, well, I don't, you know, if you want to say that like McDonald's is like the elegant experience here, or certainly the luxurious experience, right? But you can't argue with its efficiency. They're churning out more hamburgers, right, or whatever, whatever kind of analogy you want to extend there, right? Um, it is so, you know. You, you mentioned data sets, like the production of data sets. Uh, you know, is this a good thing? Is the industrialization a good thing? Is that is that where we want to go? Like, because I, I wonder a little bit is, you know, it, Google and Netflix and Spotify, like these companies data is very much, you know, a part of the services and capabilities that they provide. Is that kind of the point? Like, like, does every company, does every industry need to be thinking about how data becomes like the data is the hamburger, you know, as opposed to something else. Uh, I know I hit a few things there. What do, what do you think, Lars? Um, it's data is not a goal in itself or refining data, even though, uh, you know, sometimes you, you meet uh, executives that, that uh, think that having machine learning is a goal in itself. But but the the data and the tools, machine learning or not, that we use are, are means to make uh, business value or user value or, or value for the world in one way or another. And mm -hmm. data is raw material, right? It exists and we can choose to ref to have a process that refines it or not if we see the, the business value. Um, in organizations that are like product driven, then you will typically have little waste in terms of creating data things that are not uh, valuable uh, because the if you organize around you know driven by business value pool uh, then you your activities upstream towards the data sources will be uh, prioritized by the amount of business value that you uh, generate and spotify is really good at this at, at always uh, keep doing work that is uh, that is perceived to uh, to uh, provide business or use of value in one way or another i, I want to go follow up on this analogy which i'm really liking we call the manual the kind of what i call like the automate and the industrial so and let's continue with the mcdonald's and the hamburger so manual is hey i'm gonna go build them i'm gonna go buy the ground beef and make my burger at home right and then I'm like, well, no, I can probably buy a bunch of instead of me buying the ground beef and making the patty at home, I can go buy already a bunch of patties already and I can just put them on the grill, make a bunch of at the same time. But then you can go to if your goal is to go buy hamburgers, just go to McDonald's. But at the end of the day, the goal is what? 
to provide food to take take hunger away and mcdonald's wants to go do that fast and cheap right and i i made my hamburger manually because i also i was hungry right so it, so my kind of what i'm thinking through, going through here is how do we treat data in this aspect is our goal to be able to go industrialize it because we want to be able to go do things fast and cheap or or or, or how do you follow let's follow up on this analogy a little bit about kind of manual automated and industrial when it comes to data as, because at the end of the day we talk about i need to get value by data but what is that value what is the equivalent of i'm hungry and i want to go eat fast and cheap so the, the equivalent of, of i'm hungry right now so i need to flip a burger uh on the stove is uh, i need this data now to make a decision so i'll pull up my spreadsheet right that, that's the, that's sort of the most primitive tool that we have nowadays um whereas uh the industrialized version is uh people tend to in the organization tend to need this type of of data on a regular basis so we will uh glue together uh, from existing components a an ab testing framework so that we can uh, without doing the the query, the data the data warehouse or the spreadsheet query each time, have the right decision presented, or, or the, the the information for the decision presented in front of us as soon as we have thrown out the the, the sort of A/B test in front to users. Uh, so that's the uh, I would say the analogy between between uh, being hungry, wanting the data now, and 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 working on the process to to improve not for me right now but for the next person and next person and next person that, that wants the data so it's it's, it's uh, to some degree automation but it's also uh, automation beyond just uh, rescheduling the same query it's automation where uh, where you continue to iterate and improve on the process. So whenever something goes wrong, you add a bit of more process to make sure that the, that your data quality is measured or or whatever. And here we come into the the uh, sort of the data ops practices, which is essentially the equivalent of lean, but in a in a data factory uh, setting. So we're talking a little bit about the process and the evolution and the maturity. Let's talk a little bit more about the hamburgers themselves, the content that's being cooked here, right? Um, you know, people say things, uh, uh, you know, like, hey, we want to be more data driven, right? And, uh, you know, but as you just mentioned, right, a lot of times uh, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to do these use cases, we're trying to drive value with the data in more specific ways, but we say things like be more data driven. Uh, what does that really mean? Like what kind of, you know, wh what does it mean to be data-driven and, wh and what, are, what are we actually trying to cook here that is like valuable? Well, uh, data is uh, used to in three major ways to, to sort of enhance your business. One is uh, being data-informed, uh, which is you, you, um, manage to get the data that you need for your human decisions right business insights product insights uh, and so forth so that you make better decisions at a higher low level in, in the company and the second one is is sort of data fed products where the the data is part of uh, the product that you provide and this can be 
top lists if you're a media company. It can be uh, like reports assembled and sent off to partners uh, because you have signed a contract that, that you're supposed to provide analytics to your partners uh, and so forth. Where the, uh, the, the logic is straightforward, uh, but data is part of, of, the, of the outcome. And then you have machine learning where data is, where your logic is not complete, but you need data to, to sort of refine the, the logic uh, because you, you assess that uh, it will be a better result than if we humans create all of the logic our, ourselves. Uh, so these are the major uh, categories and, and data-driven sort of uh, that concept encompasses, I guess, all of them. It's a bit fussy. So, yeah, so it's, it's you, how, how much are we doing these different things here to drive more revenue, decreased costs, you know, all the, the typical stuff, right? You said these three things, I'll repeat them. One value is about being informed for human decisions. Second is data-fed products. So it's the actual data is part of your product. You have the top lists of something, right? The, the most popular things and um, reports are being sent to partners. And then you said the machine learning as a value. Wouldn't you? I, I would argue that the machine learning is the one that's actually helping to go either do those first two things. It's not a value per se. It's part of the technology. The value at the end of the day, I mean, if, we, if we're honest about it, any capitalist organization is like, we need to go do anything with value is to make sure how we make money and save money. How do we, and productivity is how we can, at the end of the day, make sure we are wasting less time because time is money. But I mean, isn't that at the end of the day what we need to go do with data? Yeah, it, machine learning is not value uh, per se. It's just one uh, group of features or, or group or one piece type of technology that you can use to, to uh, that is fed with data. And uh, in theory, whatever you do with machine learning, you could do with plain coding if you were smart enough to 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 write the to write the exactly the right code. And this is how we used to look at artificial intelligence back in, back in the 80s, right? The the AI at the time were expert systems where you got a bunch of experts and and you translated their knowledge into if statements essentially. Uh, and and, that, and then we call that AI. Uh, and uh, nowadays we, we we sort of hit the hit the limit of those uh, types of systems. And uh, we figured out a way to leave some of the logic open uh, and then uh, trained by examples, essentially. Uh, so uh, we create better logic than we can write in practice as, as humans. And the value of that better logic uh, can be translated to, to user value or, or business value. So one of the things I want to go pick your brain is given given your background and something we discussed before was kind of different approaches to uh, how to drive value. Like is it technology driven kind of that experience from Google that you've had or is it more product driven that experience you had from Spotify? How would you compare? I mean, this is, when we were chatting before, it was like this technology driven approach, this product driven approach. I would love if you can give us a little bit more of insights about this. Of how, how do you get value out? Yeah, it's... It's different types of, of company cultures, and there's no single uh, culture that is better than the other, but they affect the, uh, the uh, way that companies work and the, and the, and the uh, resulting products uh, quite a lot. 
Um, so, so Spotify is is very clearly clearly a product driven company where 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 all the activities stem from. Uh, we we want to make the product better in in this or that way. Uh, there is an by the way, there is an excellent podcast on on product management at at Spotify. It's it's a wonderful uh, podcast, almost as good as this one. You should really go and and, and check it out. It's of course available on Spotify. Um, <clears throat> I'll find that. I'm looking forward to that. Um, wh whereas uh, I, Google and uh, I used to work for a brief while at Sun Microsystems as well are both example of examples of technology-driven companies where where there is strong force within the company is people sort of fiddling with technology essentially to see what can be done right without necessarily a clear uh, connection to to uh, products. I mean, Google is doing quant quantum computers this day these days. It's hard to it's almost basic research. It's hard to tie that to to products. And Sun was doing all sorts of crazy things, and somehow some turned out really really well. Um, and that will make you a a uh, pro a technology leader in in, in many aspects, but not necessarily deliver what the uh, what the customers want or what the customers uh, request and we see that with uh, google's journey with the cloud uh, whereas competing with aws that is very customer driven and delivers what the customer wants whereas whereas uh, uh, google has this idea that they know how to build these systems and sure they do so they provide the technology for customers to build the systems the way that google thinks they should be built but that doesn't always rhyme with what, what the customers uh want depending on your on your customers it suits us really well we're, we're we're hosted in google cloud uh because we want we want to care about our niche and and we want google to take care of the rest so we take whatever they they supply in terms of, of security and and uh monitoring and so and so forth we don't want, we want to cut that out right uh, but it results in very different types of of uh companies how, how, how would you say you know they're defining value in that case because because obviously there's some like end results right uh but how are they defining the data value kind of driving those end results It, it, because it it seems to me that if you are like technology is like, hey, we got a lot of cool things. Let's go, let's go put a lot of cool technology, a lot of cool people uh, who are smart, and they're going to go do something, and something's going to come out of it. And we don't kind of know what's going to come out of it, and but something is right. But then if you're it, so almost think about it, going back to your AI back in the eighties, nineties, expert systems, like that's like a forward chain approach. Let's go see what's going to happen. But if you're going to go around the product way it's no i have i have this very specific need i need to go develop this product how do we go do that so we that we focus on that and we have a very clear value now the tech look at companies like google like they've generated a tremendous amount of value but people did not say well users are asking for this particular thing let's go do that no they didn't do that that's not, I guess, their culture about it, but they generated so much value. It took more time. They obviously have a lot more money and time and people to go do that. But when you're when you're product driven, you don't have you don't have that luxury. Um, so I kind of almost see that as a backward chain approach, right? You start from the goal going, and how do I get to that goal? So you have a very specific specific goal, which is tied to value. But in the other approach, it's like I don't know, but we're gonna get there. But not everybody can have that mindset. 
I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, Google was like technology driven from the start. I mean, they they had they had this idea that they figured out how to do search, right? And then they did tremendous search, which which was a lot better than AltaVista and Lycos and, and what was out there. Uh, and but they couldn't figure out how to make money out of it. So so they were close, very close to sort of giving up and just showing banners, which is what everybody else did until somebody happened to figure out this uh, the model that they used for the early searches, uh, which was yet another like technical invention that that sort of nailed it. And then and now they have an endless amounts of money. Um, so it's it's. I guess it's a higher risk uh, journey to to be technology driven, uh, but it also perhaps makes you capable of taking the leaps. And we, I mean, we've seen even though Sun is not with us anymore, we they also were a company that made these significant leaps. They, uh, uh, you know, back in, back in the nineties, they had this machine that was originally developed at, at Cray, but they threw it out, uh, which is these, it was named Sun E10K, I think. And you know what you could do? You could actually, in the running virtual machine, it was virtual machines and hardware uh, with hardware support. So you could split the machine up into virtual machines and you can move resources, memory and CPU and, and bandwidth and so forth between these. Uh, virtual machines, so that uh, if your database was running and it more, needed more CPU, you could, you know, give it some more CPU without taking it down. Twenty-five years later, I can't do this in the cloud, right? Uh, so they they have made some. You can make some significant leaps. I don't think we'll ever see co uh, product-driven companies like Spotify, or at least rarely see product-driven like comp companies like Spotify, make these kinds of technical leaps. Uh, on the other hand, they they are have a very tight connection to the to the users and and uh, measure what they want. Uh, I saw this uh, an interesting invention in how to build products at Spotify when they uh, when they developed uh, the running feature. I think it has now been discontinued, uh, but uh, they didn't they didn't at all know. When you're out running, what do you want? Do you want music that has a constant pace? Do you want music that follows the pace of your steps? Or do you want music that drives you to run faster? Uh, they didn't know. And they had to, for the first time, they incorporated the measurement and feedback loop on how to design the product into the, into the, the development process. And I've never seen anybody else uh, do that. Uh, and that result, resulted in a product that uh, had, with the characteristics of, of that product was such that nobody, when they started, had was actually able to do, to design that uh, that became what eventually became the the end product. Um, and and likewise, if you're uh, Companies like Amazon perhaps don't do as uh, as interesting technical leaps as Google does, but they did the, the business leap of of defining the cloud, right? Which wasn't a technical thing. That that thing was all already in place in other places, but they formulated how to sell a thing. So so different companies are have different strengths and different outcomes. I don't know if yeah. that rant uh, answered your question, but. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I think 
Yeah, go ahead, Juan. No, I mean, it's not just a question. I think is we're 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 all here ranting. I'm and I got a bunch of more comments and thoughts right now. But hey, Tim, you go ahead. No, that's okay. We're 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 learning together. You know, this is like uh, this has got a bunch of ideas and thoughts going in my head too. You know, the 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 most recent thing that's popping up in my head is around. You know, we talked about like Google and then being more of a technology driven company, Spotify being a little bit more of a product driven company. Uh, you know, d are there more categories of companies that we should be thinking about in terms of, uh, you know, data value and how they might think about it? Or can what we learn and glean from Google and Spotify and the conversation we just had for the past five minutes here, can that extend now to non technology companies, other companies, bigger companies, smaller companies, whatever they are? Uh, I think there are other categories. I don't know if it touches data all that much. I would say Amazon is customer driven. Uh, they they uh, respond to to uh, customer requests. So you and that's why they have such a huge floor of products, right? Because it's always somebody asking for for, for things. Um, and I, I, one might argue that that Oracle is sales driven, <laughs> so, but I have less <laughs> insight there. I know. I know a lot of my old son friends. They they couldn't. They were did not stay for long because it was wait, such a different. Wait, company. but ev everybody needs to be sales driven. Google exists because they need to make money. They go make sales. So it's they're, uh, Amazon is customer driven because they need to make sales. Right? Is it everybody I, sales driven? I, that, that's not necessarily what drives you, right? The. Uh, Everyone I mean, does the, sales, but it doesn't mean they're sales driven, right? And and uh, I mean, Google's main uh, revenue is still ads, right? That's not sales. That's just something that, uh, well, well, you can argue that well, it's sales, but never mind. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I think the honest, no BS for me out of all of this is that our go ultimate goal is always how can we make money? How can we save money? Whatever thing we go talk about, like, oh, we're talking about being technology driven on the value, product driven on the value, it goes boils down to these two things. I, 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 please, I mean, I don't know, somebody contradict me. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, I haven't, I don't think I've ever worked for a company that is actually driven by, by making money. Oh, well, I was for a while in fintech, uh, and that's very money, money oriented business. But uh but but at sun we were gonna i was building hardware we were gonna throw the the next machine out the the door that was that was the regular cycle you you get machines out the door and and likewise at google we were uh i was working on on the google uh, uh talk video was the name of the first uh, generation of, of video conferencing and it was not a monetized product uh it was there was no all the time when i was there there was no discussion of of money ever uh, affecting our choices uh, and yes google has the money to have that luxury to worry about that later but it wasn't driving us it wasn't influencing us in in any way and like, likewise it money or or how to monetize things has it was never an influence for how we build things at spotify it was uh if we generate the user value then uh then the money will eventually come and spotify also had the re the insight that uh music is a sort of a winner takes it all business that you if you're either big or or you're nobody and and uh, so gaining market share was always seen as more important than making money in the 
in the sort of foreseeable future. It, uh, that triggers some thoughts for me, which is like, like I wonder if there's a little bit of a bubble around companies like Google and Amazon and Spotify that allows them to be a little bit more in that position. And and whether you consider that bubble to be a good thing or a bad thing or a cause of their success or a, or a, or a consequence of their success, right? That uh, like, you know, being in that bubble almost makes it easier for you to then create this data-driven culture and invest in data value and things like that. And the companies that are struggling with sales or have to be more money-driven do they, is it are they in a worse position to be able to be creating value with data because they're just trying to get that policy you know claim figured out for that one customer you know perhaps i mean it's better to be rich and healthy than sick and poor uh, i guess is the, <laughs> is the conclusion here <laughs> And sure, that that gives you more uh, breathing space to to be long term uh, focused and and so forth. Well, uh, I, mean, but not I was gonna say, Jeff on the chat just says what you were doing is really R and D at that time, right? So you are doing more of the of of the preparation of what could something go do. I, at the end of the day, you you I mean you, you Lars were not focused on how do you make money, but. Your boss or your boss's boss was right, and they're Somebody like, "Somebody in the organization was." Somebody right? was right. <laughs> so I think, I mean, the the honest no BS about this is that, I mean, can we just can we just go say, oh, "I'm going to go make a business to go do provide value of something that is not about making money and saving money"? I I mean, that's the, that's the question I have. I mean, I, because because that's like if you think about it from like startups perspective, like people companies growing. Now I'm thinking about it. Wait, I'm a very established company. I'm a hundred years old. I got a, I'm, I'm older than a Google doing things, and I got a lot of money. I can take risks. No, those are the folks who probably say, "Look, I should probably be investing in something that the value is not immediate. It's it, it it's later on, right? So you, I'm going to go invest in doing this R&D type of stuff. But they're not used to. They're not that technology type of company. Uh, but they probably have the opportunity to take that risk. So I'm just. I'm just trying to figure out who are the types of companies where this can can work. This whole technology versus the product driven of value. Well, the, I mean, there, there's so much venture capital these days. At, at least here in Stockholm, we have the most venture capital per per capita in, in Europe. Uh, so, so there is plenty of of uh, risk that you can take uh, with other people's money and and not your own <laughs> revenue, right? Um, and there's, uh, I think it's Kent Beck that has this uh, formulation about uh, what is it? Ex, uh, explore, ex, uh, expand, and extract the three phases of, of like product and company development. Where in the first phase of exploration, you you try things out in order to find out what might succeed. And once you find something, then you then you grow it in terms of users or market share or something. Then you're in the expand phase. And um, and then the third phase is the extract phase where you have saturated what you can do, but you now are profitable uh, with your product. And these three phases have, uh, you need to work in different ways different ways you need to there are different activities and different types of people or organization that are appropriate in each of these uh faces uh but nowadays there is a lot of acceptance for for ex constantly exploring new things in in the in the exploration uh phase uh even though no matter whether it's your old revenue from from other 
mold products or somebody else's uh, VC money. So I think there's one more topic that's very related to what we're talking about today that um, that it would be good to hit a little bit before we start to kind of close things off and hit some of our lightning round and things like that, which is around, you know, early on today, you talked about like the rituals that people have to do, uh, you know, that you see in more mature data organizations that are creating this data value. Um, you know, what are some trends that you see that are shown in like good data teams, whether it's some of the practices that they're doing or the shape and form of them, right? Have you noticed that, you know, successful organizations really driving a lot of data value have, you know, highly centralized capable teams, highly decentralized teams? You know, what, what trends are you seeing or recommendations do you have around what's what's making these data teams be more mature and creating value? Yeah, so uh, centralized versus decentralized, that's a, that depends on the level of maturity where you're at. Uh, you're better off, if you're early, you're better off starting centralized because you, the homogeneity is important so, and it's easier to make it homogeneous if you have centralized technology and centralized teams and so forth. And that was the, the blessing in disguise from Hadoop, right? It forced us, uh, those, those companies that had adopted Hadoop early were forced to do things in a, in a centralized manner and then it became very homogeneous uh, by accident. And some of the principles that also were, were brought upon us by accident by Hadoop uh, was because of its limitations. It, it was so incapable in comparison with, with like mature databases, for example, there, were no, there was almost no indexing. You couldn't mutate things. So you, so we ended up with immutable data sets and we had to do, uh, transform them via, to new data sets whenever we wanted to change things. And it turns out that you were thereby forced into these functional architecture principles, which is essentially like functional programming, but taken on an architecture level that you, you never mutate your data structures, you never mutate your, your tables, uh, and instead build these series of pipelines that transform things. Turns out that that forced us into a way of working, uh, which uh, is the uh, foundation of, of the success of the data leaders. Um, the the uh, immutability makes it easy to share things, right? Because if it's immutable, once once it's out there, you you can freely anybody can freely use it without disrupting your uh, your operations. Whereas if you have a mutable database or or a, a mutable structure exposed via REST API, you have to synchronize and go and talk to these people. So by by uh, making data immutable, you don't have to synchronize, and therefore you can innovate faster. And it was also the case with Hadoop that uh, you it was so painful to run a cluster that you only wanted one cluster. So all the data was in one place in the same format. And that turns out to bring friction down for, for, for innovating. And since the, the uh, security models were so crappy, everybody had uh, had like read access to, to, to everything more, more or less. So you got this democratization almost by accident. Uh, whereas if you were you were going to base things on your Oracle database or whatever, then you have all of these tools and knobs to to like prevent people from accessing your data. Uh, so these principles of uh, of like immutability and democratization and homogeneous environments are, are some uh, fundamentals factors of, of success. And and those of us that adopted Hadoop early got them by accident. Uh, now, what happened later was that the um, when Hadoop, uh, the Hadoop vendors and all of the other data vendors, including the cloud uh, providers, went out and talked to the enterprises rather than the tech 
than the overgrown tech startups because the enterprises have lots of money, so you want to sell them uh, to them. Uh, the uh, the conversation often goes like, okay, we have this new technology and you can do fantastic things. All right, but we have our old ways of working where, where we assume that data is mutable and we can do transactions and so forth. So, so uh, can you please implement these features as well? And they did. So the late adopters of sort of big data technology were never forced into these, these successful patterns of working. Uh, and they, all these successful patterns of working can be uh, summarized as a data factor, which is the sort of the fundamental of the of the industrial uh, data processing. Uh, so I, a, I think that's. Oh, go ahead, Lars, and then I'll add. I think that's why we saw so many failed, like big data projects in the in the uh, 2015 era. Right, all of these uh, companies adopted the technology. They tried to push them technology into their old ways of working and that and then you just have the worst of, of both worlds whether your vendors help with implementing in transactions uh, and SQL uh, support uh, or not the the, va the real value lied not in the technology uh, on the new shiny things but in the ways that you work and the, in the way that you enable in sharing of data throughout the organization and innovating uh, on uh, low, low friction innovation on, on top of, of your data. Right. You know, I've never heard this take articulated exactly this way on sort of the impact of Hadoop and sort of early Hadoop versus later Hadoop, right? I, I think that's very fascinating because, um, you know, I think everybody has always thought about, you know, if, for those who are listening, who are familiar with sort of the big data landscape and how Hadoop became such this big splash, like, oh, the advent of big data. And this is the the Oracle that is going to bring together all our data and provide all these insights, right? Um, that like early adopters of Hadoop had very little to work with. I mean, you had to deal with these like awkward block sizes and everything was using pig and MapReduce and like, it was hard. And it actually forced you, your take here is a little interesting and in that it kind of forced you to, to implement sort of the earliest versions of really good sort of data ops practices in teams to be thoughtful, to be inclusive, to be process oriented though, and make sure that you're like, you, you know, treating data as a first class citizen. Um, it was sort of almost accidental. And then over time, Hadoop became more and more like a data warehouse and it was, but it was like a bad data warehouse, right? So it's like, it's interesting to see that comparison. That's very interesting. This is, a very awesome takeaway and, and kind of that analogy that you've done about what we've learned from Hadoop. Like, I need to go back and listen to this myself. Like wh what you just said was I'm, I'm, I'm in awe right now because it just makes so much sense for me. It's really, this was without even thinking about it, the basis of what we're thinking about, what we're doing now on defining teams on what everybody's now talking about data ops and data observability and all this stuff is like, wait, we were doing this by accident 10 years ago and if you look really study all the lessons learned from that like that's going to build that strong foundation about teams uh and, and and as you mentioned i i always ask organizations like are you centralized are you decentralized what's your organization what's your culture and people don't sometimes sometimes they know oh we're definitely decentralized or sometimes they have a disagreement about that it's like hey you guys don't even agree like this is a good thing and i'm, I'm talking a lot about this friction i want to have 
intellectual friction because the friction generates that energy to know, oh, this is where people are interested in going doing stuff. There's probably something interesting. And somebody in management thought, oh, on the right-hand side, there should be something we should go do. There's no friction there. Nothing's happening. Nobody cares about that, right? Why not? Anyways, this this is this has been a really awesome discussion, Lars. Thank you, thank you so much. And I think we're ready to go to our lightning round, right, Tim? Let's do it. All right. Um, so, Juan, do you want to uh, kick us off here? All right, we'll do this. So, should data value be defined by data leadership? Yes or no? No. I, uh, oh. I have an excellent example here. The uh, Back in 2013, uh, when I joined Spotify, one of the first things we did was to uh, make an effort to democratize data. There was just a few teams that were capable of, of using Hadoop uh, and uh, and innovating with data. So, and we set out the goal to to like democratize it uh, for for any team with a developer, essentially. And uh, we we that was a transformation to what is today known as data ops, but the world uh, the word didn't exist at the time. Um, and um, we managed to push down the friction of, of creating new pipelines so that a, be a beginner could do it in less than a day, and you could correct errors in, in like 15 minutes or half an hour or something, even in production. Uh, and that brought down the friction significantly, and the number of jobs just skyrocketed afterwards. 18 months later, uh, a team of, of engineers, like uh, about three engineers, they took a hack week and then a, another week or two, and they built Discover Weekly, which is now the one of the most popular features of, of Spotify, and one of uh, arguably the, the uh, most successful machine learning feature ever built in Europe. Um, and uh, I, I became really proud when I heard their presentation because they said that we could do this uh, because not because the company had decided, you know, at, at at board level or at management level that yes, we should make an effort and spend half a, half a year and twenty engineers, but the company had enabled bottom up innovation, enabled us with all of the data and the ways to build pipelines and and, this, and the the Cassandra clusters to to uh, serve uh, playlists and so forth. And therefore, we could do it with very little effort just because we thought it was a good thing. And Daniel Ek, the, the CEO, he said, I didn't see the beauty of it. If it was up to me, I would have killed the project. But Spotify doesn't, doesn't work that way. So we, I just didn't give them any more resources. But then they launched anyway. And, and you know, in, in a year, they had 40 million active uh, users for the product. So, so he was clearly wrong in his definition of the of data value right and he and if if it was up to the leadership that we never would have seen the, the that product i have to say i was i was not ex i was not expecting a very strong no and you just gave a really <laughs> excellent uh i love this <laughs> tim you go that that is great uh oh my gosh i'm taking notes okay um can you put a measurable monetary value to data value um no all right i'll go next we didn't talk about data measure data ops which I, well, there's so much stuff going around that but will the growing interest in data mesh and data ops will will that be one of the biggest drivers of increasing data value data ops yes data mesh no <laughs> oh uh, that's good Shamak, if you're listening it. 
I, I'd love to get your answer to this one. <laughs> Decisive uh, takes. That's what the yes. lightning round's all about. All right. Yes, I love this. Um, love this. All right, Tim, last question. Here. Last one. <laughs> all right. All companies should aspire to generate data value like Google and Spotify are generating data value? Yes or no? No. We don't need a world full of McDonald's. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Uh, we just equ you just equated Google uh, Google and Spotify to McDonald's and uh, no, they are innovating on an industrial level. I think there is yeah. room for for the for the, uh, the 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 sort of the local butcher or tailor or, or whatever, and and uh, we should have all kinds of companies. Mm -hmm. And maybe Google and Spotify used to be that, and then they grew into the McDonald's that we see today, right? <laughs> You're um, like, man, I don't know about that. <laughs> Perhaps, but, but you know, the, I think if you're just being driven by data, you also become, uh, in a sense, one dimensional. There's a wonderful rant too that's called like the 47 shades of blue or something, but a, a UX designer at Google that, and he grew completely mad because whenever he wanted to, to you know, make, make things, uh, coherent in terms of UX design. There was all of these people that needed to run A-B tests to figure out the, exactly the right shade of, of blue on this particular button or whatever. And and uh, that's a good example of how to misuse uh, data where, where it shouldn't be, right? Uh, whereas if you if you look at if you look like companies that, like Apple, they have the they, they realize that UX design is a, is a, is a human thing uh, primarily and, and not a, primarily a data thing. That, that that's that that's an interesting point because at some point you realize where do you draw the line right you want to be data driven and like well is everything data driven how much of it like it's like quantitative versus qualitative research right i mean it, 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 yeah. it, it explains different things so and that's Tim, why we need all sorts of companies to that draw the line in different places right right i, I love this tim ttt Tim takes it away with the takeaways. Here we go. Takeaway time. So uh, we hit a lot of fun things today. Two things that really stood out were actually your comment in the lightning round around bottoms up empowered innovation sort of being key to data value, perhaps even more key than, you know, top down dictation and priorities and roadmaps and things like that. I think that's important because I think that a lot of times we we think about the leaders that we put in place as, of course, being very important catalysts, right? Especially you think of the, the the increasing role or evolving role of the chief data officer as one example of this, right? But in the end, what we're trying to do is empower data culture and data ops and, and the right folks actually bringing the innovation and the understanding, the folks on the ground who really see what's going on, who can then bring the right innovations to market. And that is what it could mean if to really be data-driven and do that in a positive way. So. That's one big takeaway for me. And the second is this whole story that you told around Hadoop, it being sort of this blessing in disguise, especially in the early days where it forced us to think about things like immutability, things like democratizing data because you couldn't actually put security around anything. So it was like, hey, welcome to the data lake. Here we go, right? Um, and uh, and it, it not that we want to repeat that necessarily, right? That we don't want to repeat the technology challenges there, but we should think about the cultural and the process and the team things that we did there that actually made that good practice. And let's not repeat history. Let's not do bad things all over again. Let's go back to the good practices there and let's find ways to make them uh, become even more adopted. Yeah, let's so, not reinvent the wheel, as I always say. Right. 
So my, my couple, couple takeaways, our analogy of the manually automate the industry, right? The hamburger. Uh, we need companies who do more of the manual, do more of the automation, also the industry. The Googles and Spotify's are the McDonald's about that. The industrial kind of, they beat the other in the sense that your goal is to be completely efficient, but we need everything uh, on that entire spectrum. The, the definition of value, right? You want to be able to be informed for human decisions and have generate, you want data, the value provides products for which you can go generate new things. And like in the Spotify example, right? Top lists or reports of partners and so forth. And this is another topic that we're seeing over and over again. And I discuss a lot with also a lot of customers and colleagues and stuff is this balance between centralization, decentralization, depends on your maturity. You may probably want to start in a centralized uh, if you're if you're just kind of starting out. At the end of the day, you want to lower your friction so you can be able to go innovate more. I love that one. Lars, let's throw it back to you. Two questions. One, what's your advice about data, life, anything? And second, who should we invite next? I think my advice, which I, I have a, a two-folded piece of advice. Uh, and I think it is, applies both to data engineering in general and perhaps life in general. And that is uh, keep things very simple, as simple as you can get away with, and prepare and design for failure. So think about the cases where things go bad and try to, to cater for them or try to plan for them. And that will then if a good data engineering architecture will fall out of those uh, of those priorities and a, a perhaps a good life plan as well <laughs> and um, who should you invite i think you should invite uh, irene gonzalves from spotify uh, she is uh, an amazing conference uh, speaker and uh, she knows more about practical management of, of, of data quality aspects and, and reliable data than, than anybody else that I know. So, Irene Gonzalez. We will definitely be asking you to make that introduction. Actually, I think on November, uh, I'm looking up here, November 3rd, we'll have Eric, uh, Eric Bernhardson, uh, who mm. used to be at Spotify. So he'll be our guest and we'll be talking about more data stuff with Eric. Uh, and he, I, I told him that you were going to be on the show. He's like, oh, you guys, you have an excellent uh, guest with Lars. And uh, so, I'm, I'm, yes, this is all turning out awesome. He has a big part in Spotify success because he and Elias Freider uh, made, uh, created Luigi, uh, and uh, which is the workflow orchestrator in use. And uh, they really nailed some of the concepts and, and, uh, how, and made it, Luigi made us tie the workflows together and collaborate between teams. It, it was one of those technologies that actually affect how you work, and that's that's why it was important. Yep. Uh, but it took them a, a number of tries before they got it right. Uh, but that piece of technology has had a major uh, impact on, on Spotify's success. So with that, we're going to have a lot of really cool guests coming up for the rest of, I think we're already booked for the rest of the year. Yeah, uh, so. Next next week, we have Jans Osman, who's the CEO of Fronts, Allegro Graph. We're going to talk about data modeling and data-centric architectures and knowledge graphs. And don't forget, next September 29th is our Data.World Summit. Uh, it's free. It's virtual. So many topics, things that we've discussed today. So don't miss it.
Lars, thank you so much. And cheers. We appreciate it. Cheers. Great conversation. Great fun to be on the show. Thank this you so much for inviting me. Long and cocktails.